Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Pulp podcast, the podcast where we argue, is this really pulp? Shouldn't it be prestige? Uh, today, we are uh, talking about the 1997 sci-fi dystopia Gattaca. And special thanks goes to a commissioner for this project, Josh H. Josh H. went to support.baldmove.com, clicked on the commission podcast, and said, this here, this here is the movie you need to be doing. Put his money up, and look here, we're doing it. Um, This movie is written and directed by one uh, Andrew Nickel, I think is how you pronounce his name. uh, Probably more of a Nickel, because he's from New Zealand, apparently. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he is a he is a Kiwi. Uh, he also wrote and directed Simone, Lord of War, In Time, uh, Good Kill, which I haven't seen. That's the only one of those I haven't seen, but also stars Ethan Hawke and is supposed to be highly regarded. Also co-wrote and produced The Truman Show. I kind of like how this guy thinks. I like the cut of this guy's jib. This guy's this yeah. guy's thinking. This guy doesn't fuck around with just you know popcorn entertainment. No, he wants you to think about stuff. Uh, he was only 30 years old when he wrote and directed Gattaca, if you want to feel inadequate about yourself. Okay. But, you know, we all didn't, weren't lucky enough to grow up in Middle Earth under the, the good the good rule, ruling of uh, King Aragorn. So I want to say he got uh, some access to maybe some CRISPR a little earlier than the rest of us. He, he might have gotten he yeah. might have got some of those, his G's, his A's, his T's, his C's uh, mm-hmm. optimized. Who knows? Uh, this movie stars Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, Alan Arkin, Jude Law, Lauren Dean, uh, Xander Berkeley, who kind of just plays shits in movies. Like he's always the yeah. CIA director that you want Jack Bauer to blow his head off or, you know, uh, he's just a, a smarmy guy. And he kind of does that, but it's really effective because, you know, not that I don't want to do, spoil the movie just yet. Ernest Borgnine. Mm hmm who I will always fondly remember as the co-pilot to One String Fellow Hawk on Airwolf. Wow. Love this guy. Okay. Love this man. This is like what this is this this is this guy's right up there with David Hasselhoff when it comes to 8-year-old Aaron worshiping <laughs> him. Uh So yeah, uh Josh H wanted us to watch this movie. Uh here's his dedication. I'd like to dedicate this to Jim and Aaron and the entire Bald Move community. I feel like I've gotten more out of Bald Move than I put in, and this commission seems like a good way to try to even out that score. I'm not sure I'd call it my favorite movie, but Gattaca might be the movie I've seen and thought about the most, like the other great science fiction, like lots of other great science fiction, rather. It feels, uh, it almost feels like a futuristic Greek myth or Shakespearean play. It is, in my view, certainly deserving of the bald move treatment. And if it leads to a handful of people to check out the film for the first time, that would be very cool, too. I, I feel like Gattaca is one of those movies that we've name checked a lot and said, that, like, oh, yeah, because, you know, uh, this is the archetyp- archetypal, like, uh, Aaron and Jim do a whole bunch of navel gazing, futurism talk. Yeah. Um, because this movie's at its core wrestles with some pretty heavy subjects. You know, what does it mean to be human? Uh, what do we think about eugenics? Uh, lightly tor- touches on pro-life, uh, pro-choice type things. And does it in a very smart, intelligent way. What's your history of this film, Jim? And what do you think on further review in 2020? Uh, this movie came out when I was 15 years old. So I know I saw it around the time it came out. Definitely not in theaters, um, but probably on DVD in like 1999. So I was definitely uh, still a very young man at the time. And I, I've only seen it once that one time. Uh, It's been, you know, 20 plus years at this point. And I don't remember 
thinking very deeply about this film, like, oh, the implications of genetic testing and all that, you know, even though the movie is actively encouraging me to do so. Uh, sure. I remember thinking like, oh, look how cool it is, the links he's going to to hide, you know, his his DNA. And it's, I don't know, probably something uh, in in my life at the time was was more interested about the like deception of this character uh, and getting, you know, out of you know whatever hell he was sort of born into right um Mm -hmm. so so i remember like those parts of it but i didn't remember much about like the futurism angles like josh is talking about Uh, right so so going back to it those are the things that started to stand out to me a lot more yeah um i saw this movie when i was like in my early 20s and i saw it at the theater and i remember thinking like wow this is some fucking movie um and in, in the way that like you do in your early 20s, when you see something kind of thought provoke provoking, you tend to just kind of take it as gospel, you know, like, mm. uh, oh, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm buying whatever this movie's selling like uh, eugenics uh, seems uh, seems like a bad idea I already kind of associated with, uh, you know, Nazi ideology mm. uh, boy. Why, you know, like uh, Ethan Hawke, you know, he's born with some heart trouble and some other minor setbacks, just a normal human. And he's trying to compete with these supermen and women and he's getting the job done. You know, he's got four million lines of code, not a single error. Fuck, I couldn't do that. No. I couldn't do that no matter how many bits he flipped to my a, a DNA code. Why, why would we why would we keep this exceptional person from going to Titan? Um <laughs> and spoil I like I don't know that my my views have changed too much on that but um it's interesting like cuz like earlier this year uh Richard Dawkins stepped into a little bit of uh, uh, a yard full of rakes smacking him in the face when he tweeted out uh the following tweets which I I want to talk about later but he says what is it uh his, his tweet was it's one thing to deplore eugenics on an ideological political or moral ground quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice because of course it would it works for cows horses pigs dogs and roses why on earth wouldn't it work for humans facts ignore ideology the problem the the reason he got drugged for this because it's quite a true statement like absolutely you could Mm -hmm. genetically engineer humans to be superior but what does it mean when you say that eugenics works you know sure who does it work for who wouldn't it work for? What does working mean? What does superior mean? Mm. And and this movie know, has a definite opinion on that, which which a lot of discussion around it actually does. Um, there there are a lot right. of like assumptions being made about the end goal of genetics, uh, genetic modification that I think are go largely unexamined. Because like this movie was made um, as as a deleted scene kind of points out in the credits like uh, this this movie was made a few years before we had successfully decoded a human genome so none of this thing the, huh. these things were possible we now stand on the other side of that that gulf where a lot of these things are possible we're just questioning like what we should do how much we should do of it what kind of things should we make and and so i think it's interesting to like revisit this thing where it's not so much science fiction as it's like science future and the future is here um and and now that like these technologies are and there's like you know whispers that maybe some other countries that might not have um the same kind of scientific and medical ethics um, foundations as as we do might be kind of pushing some of the limits on these things like what what where where do we stand on that so I, I think it'd be nice to talk about the movie in terms of just like on its own like it's like cultural and uh, artistic merits and then we can have a discussion about like uh, 
yeah, eugenics. Is it good? Is it for you? Is it for me? Who is it for? Sure. Uh, nothing can possibly go wrong with this conversation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the end of bald move. Uh, but but so uh, I guess in, in non-spoiler terms, I, um, I really like this movie. I think it's very thought provoking. It's very well acted. I love it. It's It's got this kind of like minimalist design and aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and in much the same way we talked about the Matrix having this kind of uh, timeless aesthetic, you know, like what is it? What does it mean for the Matrix to be outdated? They're using these ancient like like they're they're taking these ancient technologies like plain old telephones and rotary dial systems and green screen CRT monitors stuff that's outdated by 19 late 1990 standards and they're depicting it as this like kludgy way of super future technology working so like the matrix will look futuristic 50 years from now mm-hmm. because it never was depicting a real future right yeah. and i think gattaca works in the same way you've got like 1950 studebakers being plugged in as electric cars and yeah. Everyone dresses like Don Draper from Mad Men. Yeah, pinstripe suits. Uh, it's it's all yeah. It it feels very low budget, and it's it's not that low of a budgeted film. Like nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. it was thirty six million. So you know that that's a healthy budget. Um, it, yeah. and some big names attached, produced by Danny DeVito, uh, which. <laughs> Is interesting. Um, you know what? I want to. I want to. I want to dig into that because I think we'll forget if we don't. Danny DeVito, I think, is really personally invested in this stuff, right? Because he's the <laughs> kind of guy that does. Well, I mean, he's he's he makes these movies. He's like involved in these movies, like Twins, which is essentially uh-huh. like a farcical take on Gattaca, right? Sure. Like you make the perfect man, and you scrape off what's left over from that genetic code, and you get Danny DeVito. That's literally <laughs> the premise of the movie Twins. <laughs> And he bankrolls this movie because I think that Danny DeVito knows on some level that, like, in a Gattaca world, Danny DeVito doesn't get born. Or if Danny DeVito does get born, it's in some kind of, like, fucking gutter hovel sewer system. And he's not trying to be about that, you know? I mean, um, okay, yeah. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe there's some truth to this. Maybe Danny, Danny you don't DeVito think- <laughs> has a personal investment. I think in, in the Gattaca world, Oswald Cobblepot doesn't get born, but Danny DeVito could definitely get born. Like I don't. You think so? I I would hope so. It's not that I think that would happen. It's that I would hope it would happen. What parent selects the Danny DeVito genetic profile? <laughs> well, I I mean, okay. If well, you he's show funny. Me a side by side, he's like, super here's, funny. Here's the next child you could have, and it's Jude Law. Here's the child you got cooking, and it's Danny DeVito uh-huh. at forty five. Uh-huh. I yeah. yeah, you you take the Jude Law route, but yeah, it, that's what I'm saying, and that I think there's a lot of things that this movie does really smart, where they're just saying that like once you open the door to eugenics, you might not want to open the door to all the horrific implications. Yeah, but it's just gonna happen. It will. It's gonna yeah. happen. Like you know, if you gave a person a choice to hook themselves up to an infinite pleasure machine for the rest of the world, but it's going to destroy the world in a hundred years. Probably ninety percent of humanity takes that deal, if not more. Yeah. Um. And there's just like some things where it's like you know, if if uh, here's the options, and you can take the options that are the best ones, or you can take the less best options because of I don't know some kind of moral or philosophical yeah. or religious exception. But other people are definitely going to take these superior selections. And that, that's that's the, part the, of the, the pressure movie, to right? do. Like the pressure the, to do the wrong thing is immense. They, they say that there are regulations, there are laws preventing discrimination uh, based on genes, um, and they're just wholesale ignored uh, by corporations, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's just out right. there. Everybody knows that's the truth. Kind of like data privacy and personal privacy right now. Yeah, you know, 
We live in a world where we pretend we're 17th century farmers in our houses behind locked doors that no one can penetrate. But we live in a world where literally every single room in our house is mic'd, wired for sound and video. Mm-hmm. Infrared cameras can penetrate the walls of our homes. Uh, our, our purchasing habits, our, 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 our location is tracked. Like we we fit, we mentally and philosophically live in the 17th century, but we're getting you know, pillaged like we're in the 21st century, because we are. And like I said, I, I think this movie, I'm surprised how, I, I I guess I was surprised at how well it held up, because a lot of times I go yeah. back and watch things in my late teenage, that, that I enjoyed in my late teens and early 20s, and I'm like, yeesh, woof, whoa. Especially that, near that, future uh, sci-fi stuff, right? <laughs> does, tends to age in dog years, right? Yeah. But like, fucking Gattaca, man, is a really good, Gattaca, man, is a really good film, and Andrew Nichol did a really good job of directing it. And all the performances hold up, it's really fun to see like baby-faced, Ethan Hawke and Jude Law and Uma Thurman, Alan Arkin when he shows up. Who doesn't like yeah. Alan Arkin? Alan Arkin, no one. He's 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 amazing. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really good movie. I think everybody should watch it. Um, should we get into like I, I should we just start discussing the film? I, I guess that's full stop. From here on out, we might spoil things if you haven't yeah. seen it. This movie is 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 worth watching, and it also has a few twists and turns that we don't. I do we don't want to spoil for you. So, um, check it out. Check it out. It's, uh, I think it's, if you got stars, you can watch it for free. There's a few other, um, uh, services. Like I think the premium Hulu's got it for free. Um, uh, uh, uh some Slingbox I, I saw had it for free, but it's also like three bucks on Amazon prime and high def if you want to rent it. So check it out from here on out. We might spoil shit. We might um, actually make a significant dent uh, or or significantly boost the box office take of this film just by promoting it here because it just make very yeah. much money. Uh, it was it's it's it was kind of like like um a critical success and a commercial failure is kind of how it's described. Yeah. Uh like I said the budget was 36 million the box office was only 12 and a half. So oof. Lost like in 12 and a half dollars million. towards that. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I mean, man. Yeah. Yeah, me and my wife slash girlfriend at the time attended it. But um, yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of shocked because Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman were pretty big names in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, why why do you think this movie failed commercially? Uh, the name? <laughs> I I don't know. I maybe it had a bad trailer. Um, because I hmm. I can see this being a potentially hard sell. Um, in a trailer. Although you go with the entry angle, right? Like you go with the murder, you go with the uh, hiding, like wearing blood packets on your fingertips. You go with the the bags of piss around your leg, like that kind of stuff. And the entry, yeah, there, you can mark because that was hot. Like Mission Impossible was all trafficking in yeah. that, like all this guy. Because this, there's a Skies lot of like spycraft and cloak, cloak and dagger shit going on in this movie, for sure. Yeah. So, so maybe it had um, a good trailer. I don't know. Um, I couldn't tell but you. I, 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 the other challenges for the trailer would be that this is a science fiction movie. It's a hard yeah. science fiction movie, but like try to sell that to people. No, like not a nice show, a, a, a rocket launch or two. Like it's just people sitting, it's people in business suits sitting at computers typing for the vast majority or, or, or do it looks, looks like engaged in random drug tests. Yeah. I you mean, it, it literally takes laser swords and entirely reinventing the way that action scenes are shot in the matrix, right. To get people excited mm-hmm. about sci-fi. So, yeah, especially this kind of yeah, you, it's, it's essentially trying to try to market the Matrix, except for take out all the special effects, right? 
Yeah. And get the science fiction nerds excited about it, get the, you know, the the art house people excited about it. And it's 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 just really hard. It's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Do you know how this movie did um, artistically as far as like I heard is a critical success, but what I, I don't recall this winning any Oscars or anything like that. So it's like, what did that look like in terms of I know. You know, like Rich, uh, uh, Roger Ebert thought highly of it, and some other contemporary reviews thought, you know, thought highly of it. So it was nominated for Best Art Direction uh, the year that it came out, but it lost um, to Titanic, actually, which, yeah, oh, you're not going to win this that. this was the Titanic year. Boy, that's tough. I'm surprised it didn't get a nod for, like, screenplay or something, because it's a really tight, satisfying screenplay. Uh, for the uh, most part. I, I have some problems with, with the really? actual okay. film um, and the structure of it itself, but we'll get there. Okay. Uh, I, I, th- some of the things I like um, start even at the name of the film, Gattaca. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this is a, a movie about genetic manipulation, and if you know anything about DNA, you know that the letters associated with the base uh, chemicals that make up DNA are A, C, T, G. Yeah, if you've seen Jurassic Park, you know this. Uh, Those letters are flying around and combining and making dinosaurs and frogs and all kinds of shit. And so, you know, obviously the title uses just those letters um, in it. And then there are a lot of allusions to DNA throughout the film, both um, Mm -hmm. visual and and in the terminology they use, like those borrowed ladders are one um, because the ladders are used to describe DNA a lot of the time. Um, Like they're just twisted ladders. Uh, oh, I, I love the genetic slurs. It's it God, felt like I this. Hate it so much. It's so stupid. You hate it. You the, hate it. The de- degenerates. Are you fucking kidding me? That's the kind of thing that goes in a first draft, and you you laugh to yourself when you but come dude. up with it, and you go, "That's funny," and then you take it out. You you only put it in the first draft, so later you can tell the story. Did you know they were initially called degenerates? But but like it, that that feels like that's that that fits the pattern of historical slurs. Like think of all the top Degenerate. racial slurs. Are they clever or are they just essentially diminutive versions of the full nationality or name or stuff? You know, it's like I, I felt like, you are know, like puns? borrowed ladder. I don't think they're usually puns. But 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 like a borrowed ladder, I thought was really or valid versus invalid. Oh, you those know, are good. Invalid. Yeah. Um, the borrowed ladder I thought was really good because it's like not only yeah. the DNA structure, but also like you're getting, you know, you're you're using the ladder to climb a little bit higher than you would otherwise get. You uh-huh. know, like you didn't you didn't get this on your own, but it's also like a perversion of that system because like a lot of these people in this society are not getting there because of the merits of what they've done. It's because the probability analysis says they're going to be good at this one thing. Yeah. Um. And. uh you know, I, I love that there's this line that the, the Gore Vidal's director character has where, you know, they're talking about, you know, how people don't fail to meet or exceed their potential. Like their potential is a known quantity that Gattaca is, is very good at lasering, uh, focusing in. And the detective asks, well, what happens if someone exceeds this potential? And or what, 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 how do you account for people exceeding their potential? And he says that doesn't happen if mm-hmm. someone exceeds their potential it means we just hadn't adequately gauged the potential in the first place and i'm like yeah wow what a smug unfalsifiable way to cement yourself as the superior class in society yeah um i, I just it's, there are a lot of little yeah, things like that right the 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 catches the the gotchas uh 
of of gene genetic manipulation um, and discrimination. I really like how they have this culture of paranoia. Like they start with the the title sequence, which plays with um, the GATC uh, sequencing and like the, uh, the the people's names and whatnot and, and the credits. And then it's also to you see these like fingernail clippings falling this this is body hairs this this skin cells like it's like a, a blizzard a storm of genetic material falling and you know i remember watching for the first time i was like what okay what the hell where is this going but you it, it, it sets you up for the uh essential um paranoia of the movie because like we now know you know this is after the oj simpson trial and how much you know, we know much about more about dna that like we're just putting out this information everywhere whether we want to or not mm. um and you know like dead skin cells hair spit all this stuff urine all these things are giving free you can't help it you cannot contain that stuff you can't go to work in like a tyvek suit you know um so like and and the the levels of effort that goes into maintaining the this this fraud is insane but it's also really intellectually satisfying to like in a like in a Mission Impossible way to see like, okay, you know, if you're shedding, how, how do you reduce the amount of things you shed? You know, you have this like crazy ritual grooming. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the special lotions and whatnot, special combs and brushes and scrubs. Uh, you also have to have a bunch of genetic material. You need to be able to produce a blood supply on demand, a blood test on be- demand, urine sample. And and skin cells and hairs and things because they expect you to be shedding something, right? So you have exactly. to make if, it appear if as if you are. If you never shed anything, it would be a flag. Yeah. Um, and you've got this, like, that, that's such a beautiful thing you already alluded to that, like, in the Gattaca future, there is a lot of laws to protect because like, you know, the reasonable concern of uh, if you start genetically engineering society is like, what do you do with the people who are already born that weren't engineered? And there's clearly a bunch of laws set up to where like, well, on paper, you know, there is no advantage conferred to an invalid person versus a valid person. But in practice, because you are giving off these things and it reminded me a lot of, um, you know, people that deny that there's like systematic inequalities in, in our current day system. It's like, well, you know, the laws are all the same for everybody. You can't discriminate based on blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you can discriminate based on a credit score. Yeah. You can discriminate based on what someone's first name is. And if you know someone's credit score and you know that the average person of a particular class or race has a particular this and a particular name, then you can discriminate. Well, I didn't not give them this apartment because, you know, they're black or Latino. I didn't give them this apartment because their credit score was marginal. Yeah. But why is exactly this marginal? Like, right. Have they been set up for failure? We'll probably talk a lot more about this when we get to some of the bigger questions around genetic uh, modification. Uh, one of the other imagery things they do with DNA, which I thought was cool, is this spiral staircase. Um, mm. th- th- I- I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to do with it, or if this is just a nice, you know, visual. Like, if this is just the the set designer uh, coming up with this idea and throwing it in there, but they use it on some of their uh, key art, um, like the-, the poster and whatnot for this film. So. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting they did something more with it that I just didn't catch catch when I was watching it this one time. Well, it makes a nice set piece because, like, you're right, it, it goes in with the Helix, you know, DNA kind of thing. But also it just makes a really nice set piece to show Jude Law climbing his, his way up there torturously. Like yeah. any other staircase, 
number one, would that even be possible? And number two, would you be able to get the cool angles of him? Like you can shoot him from underneath, you can shoot him from the side, you can shoot him from up top, like and and it's just a Sisyphean task it seems like he's having to do and it's all having to do like like that the, I, I think there's three or four scenes where they it's like a master class of building tension mm-hmm. and that's one of them and if they didn't use that type of stare um, and it's one of those things where it's like how clever was the writing like did this guy think like yeah. I actually want a spiral stare because it looks like a, D, a single like a, a DNA RNA strand and also because I want to see this guy struggle up or is it like that stuff that just kind of gets well, is that, that that magic that we heard so many times, like in Breaking Bad? Like the, it's part location scout, yeah. part showrunner, part writer, part producer, and they all kind of like you know, it, it, it's like the stew that like all the best answers just kind of bubble up for. There's something in there that has to do with them being two side, two opposite sides of the same coin. Um, you know, Jude Law's character Jerome has. I, I'm going to call them Jerome and Vincent, which are their original names, just so we can not confuse the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. But Jerome's kind of curse is his perfect genetics, right? Like they they make it clear somewhere in the movie that he he tried to kill himself. He stepped out in front of a car, was very much sober, very much knew what he was doing and failed uh, at his mission, which apparently was to kill himself. And then, you know, Ethan Hawke has been cursed with the bad genetics and his entire life has been spent trying to overcome those. You get the feeling that like that climb up the staircase is is part of that struggle with his own superior genetics that he's been feeling right because he's expected mm-hmm. i mean there, there's such a huge expectation on him um and if he doesn't you know what happens when your your employees don't live up to it well that doesn't happen either uh but in jude right. law's case it it drove him kind of insane it's a great it's that's another great line because uh, ethan hawk provides this kind of like um blade runner-esque narration throughout and he helpfully tells us something like when you when you get introduced to jerome and he's in this wheelchair and he's a silver medal athlete and mm-hmm. you know what's that mean if you're engineered to be the best and you still got silver place uh, he said something like you know for the genetically superior their success was almost certain but it was also not completely assured because you can still have accidents, you can yeah. still have, you know, disease, you can still have random things. And you can also still because these are all probabilities, right? Yeah. You know, they said that uh, Ethan Hawke might die of a heart failure by the time he's 30.2 years old. But what does it mean if he lives at 35 or 65 or 70? You know, none of these. And then you see I've, I've seen some pro-life material where a mother says, you know, they told they recommended that I abort I abort this pregnancy because my child is supposed to have Down syndrome or some other horrible genetic defect. And look, turns out my child's actually a professional football quarterback or he's this or they're that. And, um, you know, the movie also like uh, in, in the original I, this, this is something I'm not sure if you got the chance to see it. But like the original credits um, end in kind of like, you know, we are a few years away from sequencing the human genome and, you know, in 10 or 20 years, you know, we could have like the, the power that's in this movie in our hands. And if we had invented this technology 200 years ago, here's a list of the people who wouldn't be here. And they listed Abraham Lincoln's got Marfan syndrome, uh, Albert Einstein, dyslexia, uh, Stephen Hawking fucking everything that he had you know and and the movie kind of asks like well what what is what is what does it mean you know like what does it mean to be genetically superior what does that what does that get us um and you have to think about even if you're genetically modified you're not the only one 
And so that gold medal can only go to one person and it's not guaranteed right. to be you, no matter how genetically modified you are or genetically selected you are. Yeah, and it could be that like, you know, some other nation had slightly grippier shoes or I can't remember, was he was he a swimmer or was he, what was his? Yeah, he's a swimmer. He's a swimmer. So maybe uh, like uh, the superior genetic athlete shows up the year that the United States inv- invents the shark skin bathing suit that gives everybody a 3% and like you lose because some other part of technology was better. Like what the fuck does that even mean? And there's there's also when the, the parents were like um, shopping for their children's genetics, um, you know, they're, they're like the, the, the parents are like, well, you know, maybe we, we want to leave a little bit to chance, you know, kind of like, you know, we don't want to know the gender when the guy's like, well, you know, the human condition's already fraught with perils and frailties. Why would you like, wh- why would you give an inbuilt disadvantage? Why wouldn't you screen all those things out? Don't you love your child? Don't you want them to have the best? And yeah. Jesus Christ, that's the argument right there. That's the argument that kind of breaks genetics or eugenics rather, because, what is the line if it's left to individual parents and individual people to decide why and, and you could afford it? Why wouldn't you have perfect children? Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, and I think that's that's where things get sticky. Um, and right. we will probably get to that toward the end of this discussion. <laughs> but there's also little things I thought was interesting, like, um, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke is a is a faith birth, right? He's just a random collection. He's not the superior individual, but God he has child. an exceptional penis. Yeah, let's talk about that. So it's like, is this is this is, luck of the draw? Is this prosthetic? Does he take? Does he model Jude Law's dick and strap that on? What if he just has? What if he just random luck of the draw has got an exceptional penis, man? Like I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, sure. is what is the movie? What's the movie saying about that? You know, that like if you optimize for one thing, are you necessarily de-optimizing for another? I don't know if that means that like uh, the dumber and more genetically inferior are the bigger your penis. Uh, <laughs> But I don't know. There's just like really interesting, like like little like side things there that I just like. I almost had to pause the movie and be like, "What the? F- why? Mm-hmm. What are they saying? What?" Um, I, I can't tell if it's just an a, just an attempt at humor or if it's something that they're doing that they want us to note and think about. Yeah, but it was weird. But there's also like just so many good arguments for like the pro side of genetics because it's uh, no, it, a lot of this takes place in the beginning where the parents are shopping. You know, they got the imperfect child, Ethan Hawke, and the they're trying to design the perfect child. And there's a, this great scene where the mother's, you know, they're doing they're having this faith birth, you know, where they don't have any genetic intervention. They conceived in the back of a car and. They're having and and they're picking out a name and they're going to name him after the father. And the father's like, no, wait, wait. Vincent, I don't want to give this mm-hmm. son my name because we're going to have more in the net. And I was like, God damn. Um, th- I, I think that's also such a great way to show the, you know, if you if you if you're pro eugenics and you think you can do it in a positive way, you can make a better human society. The real sticking point for me is what do you do? What does the transition look like where you you've get your we're all still Morlocks, right from the time machine, but we're trying to become Eloy. Like, what the fuck does it look like politically, economically, socially to be the Morlocks in these in this situation? I mean, you it's know, a mess. like, it's yeah, a mess. it always is. It Transition is. is tough and painful. it is. And that's just like and I, th- I think about like, you know, in, in these that these situations that absolutely happen. Like, what does it be? Yeah. What is it like to be the child that, you know, was the kind of mistake, the heir, the one that your father didn't want to name after him? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like, you know what the geneticist is saying is like, look, this child is still you. It's just the best version of you that you could produce naturally. It's entirely possible yeah. that you could produce this child. We're just putting our thumb on the scale so that 
you know, the best of you gets uh, expressed and the worst of you gets suppressed. And like that is a very powerful argument to make to people, you know? Yeah. And um, it, it not only like familiarizes, I guess, people who have have not thought about those uh, these things in those terms with with stuff that's important for the film, but it also gives a motivation to the main character. Right. He's he's mm-hmm. clearly born and and told by society that he's inferior and he has to over he spends the rest of the his life and the movie overcoming that. Yeah, and there's also some interesting commentary with the fact that like um Jerome is kind of um the perfect man is self is is you'd call it self-sabotage, except for Ethan Hawke is playing him, so he's like other sabotage. Like he can't stop drinking. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh his genetic profile says that he shouldn't be an alcoholic. He's a raging alcoholic. I, yeah. I need you to give me a, a sample that doesn't have alcohol in it so I can go into work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he just can't do it. Like, there's a couple scenes here that just really show the dark side of being the golden child that comes in silver. Like, what does that do to you? Um, the the scene of him, like, I, I thought is really powerful, the how dare you scene where Dean Norris... <laughs> Uh, goes and hassles this guy for legitimate reasons and and he's in a wheelchair and he's he's like yeah i just had a skiing accident how fucking dare you what are you you're a you're a detective so i know you're not one of me because if you're one of me you'd have a job here at gattaca and you're not just like pounding the pavement and uh man it, it just it just really does a great job of showing and not telling the kind of like collective like shame and and uh uh, disgust and 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 self hatred that you could get in some of these situations, even with completely perfect people. There are definitely some things that it tells, but I don't know how else you tell this story. Um, like that that whole sequence opening uh, the film is all just narration over like this sort of time, you know, montage of of passing of time. Which I, I got to say, they did an excellent job casting these kids as Ethan Hawke. They all look so much like Ethan Hawke. It's it's remarkable. So you've got you got like baby Ethan Hawke, two year old Ethan Hawke, uh-huh. eight nine year old Ethan Hawke, seventeen eighteen year old Ethan Hawke. Somewhere in there. Yeah. This is this is where it gets weird for it, me. Yep. Why the fuck do you cast an eighteen year old Ethan Hawke when you have twenty seven year old Ethan Hawke? <laughs> yeah, just de age him a little bit, and you're good. Like contemporaneously on Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. They had 30-year-olds playing high schoolers. We, yeah. we This this year, we watched Rear Window, where 50-year-old Jimmy Stewart's playing a 24-year-old guy, you know, <laughs> uh, playboy. You got... What else did we see this year? Um, what was another? Oh, like Tom Cruise. Like, in Born in the Fourth of July, he goes from, yeah. like, 16 all the way to 50-something, and they just use it. Like, I just thought it was so hilarious that mm-hmm. they cast an 18-year-old Ethan Hawke when they got 27-year-old babyface Ethan Hawke Waiting in the wings, man. And the 18-year-old Ethan Hawke is the worst of the Ethan Hawke castings as well. Which is the funniest part of it. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's uncanny valley. Because the other it's like, okay, yeah, he's a young Ethan Hawke. This guy's just a weird Ethan Hawke doing a bad Ethan Hawke impersonation. Yeah. Uh, but but I don't know how else you tell this part of the story um, when you're doing mm. this montage of like, we got to tell you everything about the world. We got to tell you everything about his birth. We got to tell you everything about the competition with his brother. This movie would be another hour longer if they tried to do all that without, you know, with just time jumps and like showing, not telling. So I, I forgive it. Um, and I think it actually works pretty well. There are a few things that I don't like about this movie structurally, but we'll we'll get there. 
want to talk about some of yeah the i mean I, I think this first act is like so goddamn lean and efficient like it delivers it is, yeah. so much story and character and motivation and such and world building and intrigue build too like too. that's the thing that t- you don't understand exactly what's happening like at the beginning when you're seeing him like exfoliating and and wrapping piss bags around his legs and yeah like, what, the what hell? It, why is this guy doing all this crazy stuff and and it's only I think it's after you get to like this genetic uh, selection stuff that you finally understand why he might be doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, I feel like this might be kind of like an Andrew Nichol kind of thing, because I remember in time starting the same way, because it's like essentially like a that that's a it's a heist movie, you know, Pre- people are stealing time. Yeah. Right. But you don't know what the hell the glowing thing on the wrist means. You don't know why they're doing. And then as you like, it's 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 a hallmark of like do something weird and just slightly like it's it's like you know watching a person going about getting ready for work. It's very normal and it's a way a lot of movie starts. But then he starts scrubbing stuff and he starts like you know getting getting hair samples out of vials and like see that strap into piss bag and like okay this is starting to skew and yeah. you don't find out why that happens until but it's like it's very fascinating and absorbing to yeah. watch and try to figure out. Um, like I said, it's just it's just a clinic for like efficient storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I so so here's a, a topic I think because this movie makes so many fucking points I'm not even sure if it intends to make but like now that I've uh, as a 44 year old thinking back about my life like all this stuff kind of reinforces maybe this is intersectional theory but like one of the points it makes is that prejudice policing is bad policing mm-hmm. like a lot of times you hear the arguments like well we know who's committing the crimes let's just go like hassle those people and you know why but like they there's a there, this is like a very great example of why that can lead you to the very wrong conclusions, you know, yeah. like, well, we know it's an invalid. So let's just round up and hassle the invalids and do all this other stuff. And like, but it's all it's 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 all it's it's sloppy and lazy police work, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's based not, on it, like a sense of superiority too. like, oh, we couldn't possibly have not detected, uh, you know, an intruder in our ranks here. So let's go hassle the right. people who right. we suspect we made the system the system's perfect if the system made a mistake that means we made a mistake that clearly can't happen and you see a lot of that yeah. in you know uh in like policing today the, the amount of like wrong convictions and stuff and the fact that there's like a racial component and all that stuff i thought that was like again i don't think the movie set out to make that point it just effortlessly does in the course of you know the the, the this movie mm-hmm. um and the the assumption that it it must be you know it, that the murder must have happened because they found this invalid uh in or I should say invalid it's they pronounce it very specifically yeah invalid um, that that they found you know a DNA sample from an invalid somewhere in the facility that must be their guy right like mm-hmm. they're so fixated on that when it turns out it was the the fattest of fat cats genetically superior on top although yeah. I thought it was interesting since we don't know the timeline when this movie takes place. I got the impression the uh, the the this time that I watched it that the Gore Vidal character, the the director, the old man might have been one of those faith births. Like he might like he might have been born before you start because I, I feel like Ethan Hawke was born right at the cusp of where man, should we do it? You know, it's like it's still a society. This guy's born like 40 years before then. He was genetically engineered. It's almost like huh yeah, good point. It's, 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 it's like, I, again, this is not explicitly spelled out in the movie, but I think you're supposed to understand that this guy 
is of a mind that he is, of course, superior because he's got all this money and he's been this successful. And he is able, because he is so smart and so superior, to select only the best of the best of the best, which does not include him. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of these courses where he, an invalid, might have committed the murder and it might have been the director. I think it's it's a it's a fun huh. interpretation yeah. that you, I don't think you can falsify or or prove from the film itself, but it's a, a clear implication that I got that like you know um, yeah, and it, you know also like I bet rich I, I bet people I, I bet that's also a, a thing that would absolutely happen in the real world is if like this was stuff that was only available to the ultra rich. During that boundary threshold where some people are doing it, some people aren't, the ultra wealthy could probably af- afford the technologies to let their children, you know, borrow ladders all day long, just fake their documentation, you yeah. know, instead of like carrying around piss bags and blood fingertips and stuff, just change the official record to make you appear as valid in the DNA, you know, like, sure. so it's like, is this guy like it wouldn't it be ironic if the director himself was a borrowed ladder, you know? Um, yeah, I, I just like some of that stuff is super cool. They're not just they're not just pattern matching the DNA um, when they uh, like to some already filled out profile. I get the impression that they're actually testing your blood for its attributes on site I th- in every single one I of those tests. You, yeah, you might be right because there is a scene where they make that explicit, where like um, they've got the service where you can swap someone's spit by kissing them or something, and you can have the yeah, gen- yeah. The, their genes tested and you get the full genetic readout and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that if that's the if that's like a special exception because it seemed like for the vast majority of time it just pops up that you're valid or invalid. Yeah. Um, but maybe you're right. Maybe they're able to sequence it that fast every single time. I assume so. Would it take like ten seconds for her to get the full genetic thing back? Yeah, nothing. the The other thing I but, like about uh, this murder is it's used very unconventionally. Um, typically in a film, a murder investigation is like the crux of the entire film. Right here. It is a it is background for the larger intrigue, um, the 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 real tension, which is will he be found out um, to to be faking his identity, and and so they go so far with that as to have the end of the movie essentially brush aside the murder investigation altogether. It's just like, eh, the director did it. We don't know how he did it. We don't really. Other than like a loose, oh, he wanted to keep the mission going because it was important. We don't know why he did it, like specifically. Th- that's almost left unresolved in in how loosely mm. resolved it is, right? Because it, it doesn't matter. That's not the the crux of it. Yeah, you're right. I actually think they did a better job than you're giving him credit for, and that like this is a, a mission that's there's a window that's open less than what is eleven days that only opens up every oh. seventy nine years to enable this mission, and this is his life's work. So he was going to cut some corners. He's not going to let anything get in the way or jeopardize it. Um, yeah. yeah, but the guy who committed the murder is just you know some dude as far as we're concerned. He's like that oh, doesn't he's that, the that, that you can you can check his genetic profile. He doesn't have a violent bone in his body. Right. Right. Which again, you know, prejudicial police work is sloppy uh, police work. Um, sure. Yeah, but yeah, I like how the the tension there is not necessarily like will we discover the who the murderer is because we know it's not him, right? We've been with him right the entire time. We know he didn't murder anyone. Um, well, there, there, th- 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 yeah, and and there's also just a lot like this movie takes a hard like it's kind of like a slow absorbing science fiction movie that turns into a thriller. Yeah. Like halfway through the second act, like a hard turn towards like, oh, my God, this thing's pulse pounding. Yeah. Once like, they, uh, they bust into the restaurant and they start running. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, even before then, like, uh, you know, this fun thing about, like, hey, let's do something spontaneous, let's run across the highway to get to this ocean thing, which is, like, super simple, but he's had to take his contacts out. I love how they connect those things, yeah. Oh, my God, it's so fucking, like, I even knew what was going to happen, but it's so stressful. Yeah. Um, Because that's the thing is, like, crucially, you don't really, you know, when you're watching this movie for the first time, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't Mm -hmm. know Ethan Hawke is going to, you know, make it here. Like, I I thought, like, you know, there's so many, there's so many, there's so many story possibilities that could have happened that I felt like everything seemed possible. Because, like, one, I remember thinking one of the things um, when I first saw this movie that I thought might happen is that Jude Law does somehow take his place. Yeah. You know, that like being up in the stars where his legs don't matter, like when he when they made that, I'm like, oh, God, that's going to be the twist. Like right as he gets <laughs> on a rocket, Jude Law is going to have some kind of like undersuit exoskeleton. He's going to knock him over the head and he's going to get on the rocket and then yeah. Jerome's off in the stars. But there's like so many possibilities to keep I, 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 it, it, that. that, And that's why it makes the suspense genuinely work, because. Another one, when the detective is driving home and Jude Law's got to claw his ass up into the second floor, like there's all these things flying through your head. Like well, the move, they could just get caught and there could be some other thing to process. Maybe there's a big fucking one of those weird court scene things at the end, or maybe he's going to get away with it. But then like, how, what's he going to do about to hide the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this detective is kind of sharp. You see these sharp throughout the movie. Like, how are they going to get away with it? Even if he gets away with this stage, it's like, it gives you a goddamn ulcer the whole second and third act of this movie. Um, yeah. And just the way they, add the suspense and the way they intercut like there's even like little tiny suspense elevators within the big suspense one for example like can jude law get to the button uh that lets him in the building right uh-huh. and sound normal and then that that because like a lot of times i think movies play around with the idea where they show like a guy driving across the city and another guy's trying to like get home in time but you never know like well what how are they synchronized like, is this is like close, but like when the, the, the intercom thing starts ringing, like that tells you they're not just around, they're outside the door. And it's, it's that kind of stuff that, that I think really nails the, the tension and makes it feel really real and, 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 uh, suspenseful. Yeah. And I guess another reason I say like the murder is so, uh, inconsequential here or not inconsequential. It's, it's very consequential, but it's, but it's like, Bit of a brushed aside at the end is because when they solve the murder, it's solved off screen. There's no like context for why they would have even looked at this guy, let alone how they proved that it was him. None of that is in there. They they say he confessed because once it was no longer possible, it was too late to stop the the mission or whatever. He just came and confessed and started fully cooperating because he didn't. Huh. You know, he okay. didn't he didn't care. Now, that's weird because like that's not what that's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not the rich he? elitist people that I know that's going to accomplish their mission and be like, you know what? Fine. I'll take my jail time now. I got what I wanted. No, it's like I want to get two uh, well, missions to Titan. <laughs> maybe he's he's better, better than that. Yeah. He's uh, genetically superior. It, it, it Maybe now is a good time to talk about some of the things that I don't particularly care about. Uh, with this film actually no one more thing that i like um not sure exactly how these connect and how they're being used but we talked about that traffic scene where he's trying to run across the street without his contacts in he can't see anything it's super blurry Mm -hmm. it's shot really well um but but i get the sense that they're trying to connect that scene 
with Jude Law, with Jerome having stepped out in front of a car and and it hitting him. Deliberately, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, they're two opposite sides of the same coin. So something about like him succeeding here despite not in wanting ran- to do in a, it in, in a, a fully random chance time like just rolling the dice right yeah. as opposed to jerome stepping out in traffic intentionally and failing uh to kill himself there like you're absolutely right they're doing something with that and i i'm not totally sure what it is but it's the thing is it's a juxtaposition of the random choice you know the faith birth versus the predetermined thing and which is superior which leads to the better result right And and fate's involved, and you can't take that out of the equation. I love the reveal at the end where he gets busted. And this smarmy doctor who they they hire to play because he's got a punchable face, Xander Berkeley, Mm -hmm. is kind of like, you know, he's got him dead to rights. He's going to piss invalid. But... The whole time, like he's, they've been building this kind of like character arc with him, where he's like, you know, my son was uh, was a va- valid, but turns out he wasn't all that they promised. Like those little percentages of probabilities, kind of like maybe he's got. They don't exactly specify what the deal is, and then they reveal that he's known all along. Yeah. Like the fact that like you know, real uh, right-handed men don't hold their dick with their left hand. <laughs> you know, fun uh-huh. fact. And then you know Ethan Hawke's like 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 about to have a, a, a fucking cow about this stuff, and then it turns out that he's sympathetic because like you know what I think you know like obviously you've gotten this far. I would want my son to have this chance. Wink, wink. We're going to like have gene genetic solidarity here with mm-hmm. the in, like I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take one for the imperfect children. I thought that was a great twist uh, on top of like. Uh, a bunch uh, a bunch of I think great twists like the reveal that Ethan Hawke's brother is the detective that's investigating him I that thought was, was a, shocking was a, um, and it worked yeah because I especially since I remembered the twist but I thought the twist was like it turned that that like um, Jerome I thought Jerome was actually um, Vincent's brother. I thought that was the deal. That Vincent's oh, brother okay. had flamed out and their parents had died and no one was the wiser, so they would just switch to get ahead. Gotcha. So I was really confused in the first act when they made it very, very clear that that is not the case. And then I'm like, well, maybe I just got this confused with another movie. And then the twist actually hit me double like, oh, fuck. Oh, right. Of course, it's the detective. Um, yeah, there's did, a reason that they haven't referred to this guy by any kind of name. He's always just been, you know, the detective and you and sir and. And when you go back and you look at the film, because um, there were a couple of moments early on that I noted I, when he looks over at that that inspector or whatever, and, mm. and he gives kind of a funny look, and he looks more nervous than maybe he would normally be, even yes. though he should be pretty nervous because he's hiding his identity uh-huh. and that stuff. But it, there, there's a knowing glance there that you know should should tell you on second watch, hey, he knows this is his brother, and yep. now he's really in some shit, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I'd like to why I, I might get a second watch because Cecily didn't get a chance to watch this movie, and I kind of want to watch it again because I bet it is a real fun back to back second watch for sure. Uh, uh, what other good stuff you got? Okay, uh, this visual storytelling. Yeah, the juxtaposition of Ethan Hawke's blast off with Jude Law being in the incinerator. I remember that really hitting me hard in the theater, but like, man, that yeah. is a you know. Like step back and give yourself a hand because that visual symmetry is tasty. Mm-hmm. Like literally launching someone else at the cost of this other person dying. Um, and then the one question I had that's not like it's it's not a it's not praise nor criticism. It's more like, what did the lock of hair mean? 
Because like I thought that that was going to be some kind of suicide note or some kind of like encouragement. He's like, you know, don't open it until you're gone. Don't open it until you're up there. Don't open it until you're up there. What what is the deal with the lock of hair? What did that mean to you? I don't really know. The best thing I can come up with is that he's going to need hair to spread around like he's been spreading to keep, you know, masking his identity. It, it's almost like a, a message of encouragement. Like you can continue to do this. Keep going, you know. Because mm. um, he's accomplished his goal, right? He's he's gone into space, and I don't think over the course of this year long mission, they're gonna say, "Whoop, we got an invalid on board. Let's turn this thing." Around. I almost had the idea that maybe they don't even test up there. Like right. you know, if you can get in there, it's like you know what, like it's in the future, but not that far in the future. Like they're not gonna drag all this testing equipment and all that stuff. Like yeah, yeah. So it's almost like. Okay, sprinkle this stuff around uh, while you're up there so that, uh-huh. you know, when you come back and they do the testing, which I'm sure they'll probably do, the sweeps of the ship, um, you'll be okay. I don't know. And maybe you can go on a second mission. Maybe you could do even greater things, right? Why do you think Jude Law kills himself? Why do you think um, uh, uh, Jerome kills himself? I mean, other than he already clearly wanted to. I don't know. Would that that just know why flips that the question around? Why did he go through all this stuff? Um, like I is like was this like a um, kind of like a very stealthy Will Smith seven pound situation where like he's like, well, I didn't commit suicide and I'm now crippled. Um, you know what? Maybe I will give someone the ladder. And like, was this his plan all along? Because uh, the thing is, like, when you're first watching this, like, um, Jude Law giving him, like, two lifetimes worth of genetic material didn't seem ominous to me. It's more of, like, an ultimate oh. sign. I, I, I took it as an ultimate sign of trust. Like, I know that I haven't been reliable and I have been kind of an alcoholic and I have the problems. But, like, thank you so much for the dedication for us to live. Like, I thought that was a beautiful line. Like, I got the better end of this deal. I only lent you my body. You lent me your dreams. Um, yeah. But that was kind of like just like, hey, I'm no longer going to hold you hostage. Like, because I think that's the whole idea that, like, if 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 you give a borrowed ladder all this genetic material, they could just off you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like like they could just fuck you over. And you know, the idea that you have to have every day a genetic sample that you have to give and it has to be clean and all this kind of stuff is almost insurance that the borrowed ladder doesn't take the ladder and pull it up the wall behind them. Sure. And then him doing that just showed the amount of trust that he had in him. Um, I immediately assumed he was going to kill himself. As, as soon as he did, you, on the first, do you, do you remember on the first viewing though? Because like, I mean, obviously, I knew, I I remember that stu- that was one of the images steered in my head, that him pulling himself in that incineration chamber and the blast off. Like I remember that twenty years later, like I I, I uh, saw that exact thirty seconds in my head, so I knew that was coming. But no, I I, I don't really remember any of this movie. It's been mm-hmm. yeah two decades since I've seen it. Um, one last one last thing. What psychopath swims in the ocean at night? Haven't these people seen the movie Jaws? <laughs> like, like swimming in deep, dark water yeah. is, is crazy anyway. At night? Are you kidding me? In a full moon? Do you want to get eaten by a great white shark? I kind of think you do. You yeah. might have a genetic predisposition to it. You might want to see the genesis about that, guys. I, I mean, clearly they don't give a shit. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to leave everything out there. Uh, or at least Ethan Hawke is. Um, Vincent is. They yeah. never save anything for the swim back. Uh, spe- speaking of good lines, so I like that one. Um, but I also like the line. Uh, I, I, I can't remember who says it. Shit. But at one point, um, Ethan Hawke is told, I think it's Ethan Hawke, uh, they've got you looking so hard for any flaw that after a while, that's all you see. 
which is so true. And I find that true even, you know, in my line of work here. Um, if you get in the wrong mindset when you're looking at films, uh, you can sort of influence the outcome negatively if that's all you're looking for, right? Because hmm. like maybe you've got a great film with a few flaws like Gattaca. Uh, and and if all you want to see is the negative, if that's all you're looking for, then that is all you will see. And then the whole thing will become a pile of garbage. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I like that. It's, it's very true. It's a very it's a very concise and clear way to say uh, a very complex uh, idea. Yeah, perf- perfectionism is a is a bitch. Uh, it's something we laud in society weirdly, um, but it's actually the number one thing I think that holds people's potential back. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I'll never write. A, a, I don't think I'll ever finish a fictional novel because, like, I always get to the point where, like, you ever do you remember like almost everything that's great we've ever seen? We talk about. Well, there's a little part where they had to drive off road through a couple miles of broken road, but then they get it back. Yeah. Every time I get to a plot where I can't myself resolve it, I'm like, well, fuck it, might as well put it on the shelf, you know. Yeah. Rather than just be like, well, if I tell the story well enough, the, the audience will just go along with it. Like mm-hmm. the idea that like someone could be like, you know what, fuck it, it doesn't make sense, but we've this movie's dope. And these actors are going to be amazing, and this 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 uh, people are going to want to know what comes next. They won't care like that. I just can't make myself believe that. Even though like all my favorite films, all my favorite films have huge flaws, and the more you look at it, the more you can see them. Star Wars, you know, fucking fucking stormtrooper knocks his head right. on a door, makes a final cut. What the hell, you know? You mm-hmm. can see through the compositing of the like snow speeders and shit in Empire Strikes Back. It's his half-assed job. Yeah, one of the great, some of the greatest movies ever. If you're rich enough and and anal enough about it, you go back and try and fix it, <laughs> <laughs> and destroy everything you love in the first. All uh-huh. right. So in in the spirit of uh, looking at the flaws and it's all you see, what are the problems of this film? Okay, so let's talk about a minor one. Um, not even minor. Actually, it's pretty significant. Um, I feel like the brothers' plotline was not executed as gracefully as I would have liked. Um, hmm. the sudden reveal is shocking and it's, it's, it scores points in that regard because I mm-hmm. didn't really see it coming. And when they reveal it, I'm like, oh shit. But then they, they short change it, I think, um, because they're trying to reveal it at the last second. So after that, it, it's, it happens in the same scene, the, the, the reveal that it's his brother and also the challenge of, mm-hmm. I, let's let's race again, right? Let's see who goes out the yeah. farthest. And they strip down and they go out the, into the water. And he says the the poignant line about "I never left anything. I never left anything for the swim back." Mm-hmm. That is too shortcutted, in my opinion. They needed a little bit more emotion. It loses. It, it just feels a little less earned than I would have liked. Yeah, especially since this movie is pretty brisk. It's 106 minutes. Like they had the time with credits. They had the time to let that. I I kind of agreed there too. I was a little bit shocked seeing it. You know, like I haven't seen this movie in like fifteen years. Uh, seeing it and thinking like they this is a such an epic twist, but they kind of like hustled on the the, the to go because I they had a couple other twists ahead. Yeah. You know, they had the twist with the doctor. They had right. the twist with the. You know, uh, the director, like I felt like it maybe was a little cluttered, but like, yeah, with such a another minute or two of them, because like I I didn't get like I felt like the brother should have learned a lesson from this, too. 
and there should have been an impact. Like there, there, he needed a yeah. moment to like think and ponder this and allow us as the audience to also like, cause you know, we all need, we only, we spend so much time considering things from the invalid's position, the invalid's position that we don't really think about like, you know, well, you know, what do some of these other people think? And here's what I would have done. I think I, you're right. I would have made Jula kill himself earlier putting Ethan Hawke into a very bad position, knowing that he doesn't have the material he needs to continue this life and get into this, uh, get to mm. Titan and have the brothers step in and donate material so that he can get to, uh, whatever, like, like have him have, having match, confiscated, right? well, have him like having confiscated the last of Ethan Hawke's supplies. Oh, right. And then yeah, after they he, have he's... this swim, the brother gives it back to him saying, go do it. Or even he's got a little bit left over from the last sample he drew right from Jude Law's arm, you know, like he's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you earned this, go, like you've shown how dedicated you are, that kind of thing. It's like going into the evidence locker and get a kilo of cocaine. You just go into the evidence locker and get a vial of blood and be like, here you go, little brother. Exactly. Big brother. Big brother. Big big brother, two years, yeah. Um, Um, So yeah, that was a little short change. The, The other thing, so we talked about like some of the attention to detail on like... I don't know. Okay, so there's a line about like uh, right-handed men don't hold it with their left, right? Mm-hmm. So this is happening. I'm looking at this whole scenario, and you gotta. I have to describe the scene. So this is at the entryway to the ship, the spaceship that's going to take them to Titan. Um, right. They have two checkpoints set up. They have clearly a male and a female side. Um, because there's a woman in front of him who goes off to the left. He goes off to the right. He gets Xander Berkeley as his doctor. She's got a female doctor. Um, he says, right-handed men don't hold it with their left. Very detail-focused, right? And I mm-hmm. look at where they're standing. They're these little, like, circular shower curtain things um, that are meant mm-hmm. to, you know, give you some privacy while you whip it out yeah, and, and you fill you a cup. You dispense piss from your exceptional penis, right? You don't want to get, you don't want to put on a show for the world. Let me ask you, with the exact same setup on the other side for the women, where are they dispensing their urine? <laughs> How are they dispensing and collecting the urine? What if they have a more complete privacy thing they don't. on the women's side? You can see it. They don't. It's exactly oh, really? identical oh, on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> and and not that. to mention, the woman who goes in at the exact same time as him, actually in front of him, ends up... Yeah coming out and being already down the hallway going to the spaceship by the time he's even zipped. So like <laughs> she's she's an exceptionally fast standing up pisser. It's kind of amazing. Well, they do have those like cups that women can push to their, you know, they're like vacuum molded to the clam. Okay. And allows a All woman right. to pee standing up. So like, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they use maybe that. That's, maybe that's it. I don't. Yeah. Or maybe I, I, they're doing. I don't know the first thing. Blood I sample rather do. than urine. I always thought it's wild. It's like why urine sample? Why is a urine sample the old gold fucking standard for DNA? Like if they're if yeah. like I I would think that for the Titan thing, um, that like you do the full vein, you you drain yeah. the main vein, the actual main vein, not the f- fictitious one. But uh, which, but that was another great scene. How he because I I I remember that's another one of those uh, pressure cooker scenes where it's like you knew he's going to have to give from the vein. Like how the hell is he going to do that? And it was essentially. You know, Some fake blood plus sleight of hand, and yeah. it like they effortlessly told a pretty complex uh, action scene. Oh, it's good, and it's they good. retroactively. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Make it even easier that he succeeded in that uh, scenario because the doctor was kind of in on it, even though he didn't know he was in on it. 
Right. So it yeah, makes like even any, more sense any, why that would have worked. Any, any, any smarties to be like, oh, that doctor would be like, oh, okay, let's just start over with another thing. Like, you know, he's 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 been in on it for years. Yeah. As, as we pointed out. Okay, the final and maybe most egregious uh, sin of this movie, in my opinion, is the amount, the, the way that they stretch my suspension of disbelief that people simply do not recognize faces. They do not look at faces. They do not compare faces. The the nature's best pattern matching machine, especially in regards to faces, would no longer regard faces as important once they have like DNA testing is beyond disbelief for me. But I thought they did a pretty good job of fairly closely matching like Jude Law and Ethan Hunt and Ethan Hawke in this stage of their careers are like fairly similar. Yeah, but so is the picture of Jude Law or sorry, the picture of uh, Vincent before he becomes Jerome and the the face of Jerome, uh, the fake Jerome, you know, when you when you have invalid screen and you've got Vincent's face and you got Jerome standing next to it and they're pointing at it and they're looking at him. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's so fucking stupid. Like the director comes up and maybe the director's in on it. I don't know. You, you may be mm-hmm. onto something there. He might be an invalid as well. Uh, but he comes up. He says, is this the trajectory we agreed on? And right there, he's looking at Vincent. Vincent's face is up on the screen with invalid next to it broadcast. It's yeah. it's a joke. It's ridiculous. Nah, I, I am willing little... to let it go because the rest of the movie is so good, but it is asinine. <laughs> right. It's a little, you know, Anne Hathaway and Princess Diaries like, oh, God, this girl with a tight ponytail and a thick Coke bottle glasses and wearing minimal makeup. Oh, my God. What an unrefined yeah. cow. Oh, my God. How are we going to make a how are we going to make this pig's ear into a silk? Oh, wait, we let down her hair and we take off her glasses and we put them. Oh, my God. She's so beautiful. Like, I think there's yeah. a little bit of that going on here. But I, sure. I, I do think I, to, to, to push back a little bit, I do think it's a little bit of world building where, like, oh, it, it totally really is. doesn't matter what you look like or how you perform or any of that shit. It's just like, you know what? No, I don't give a shit how much game you got, how sexually attractive I find you spit in this cup. I want to get it tested to see if you're not, you know, fucking me over genetically. You're not trying to steal something from me. Yeah, but now you're trying to tell me that you know the, so the they don't attractiveness has gone out the window. And yeah, they don't even look at faces to pattern match yeah. them when they're when there yeah. are their their detectives don't even look at faces. How is that possible? Yeah. Like those are sloppy lazy police. Like the first few attempts at police work are just a joke. It's like uh Yeah. You know. And I don't know, I thought that's also the man, the more I think about it, the reveal that the detective is his brother. Like he's the one's always supposed to say, Hey man, you can't underestimate these invalid like he's the one always saying, like, Well, don't be too sure, you never know what's gonna happen to these inval these invalids because he knows firsthand that these guys can surprise you. Yeah. They can overcome their their uh limitations. Um Here, here's what I would have done to fix it. I think they needed yeah. a lower stakes, like f- figuring this stuff out. Um scene uh, similar to like in inception when uh when Leonardo DiCaprio takes Ellen Page into the simulation and shows her or not in the simulation into a dream and shows her how the architect stuff works I think mm. they needed one of those where he's like testing the boundaries of will people recognize me do people look at faces will this DNA get me by instead they just throw us right into the highest security of security places and expect yeah. us to to sink or swim there and I I think it sinks in that regard. 
The rest yeah, of it I was actually, though, so I don't care. And then to, to echo that, like I, especially with this trim runtime, I had a pretty good appetite for knowing more about the ins and outs of fooling this genetic stuff. Like they could have spent another five minutes like oh, yeah. explaining like, well, here's how the piss thing works and here's all this thing and here's how you know. And um, like I could have used more of that world building. That'd be a great place to stick it. You know, like, and I think the Tony Shalhoub guy did a lot for efficiently because, like, yeah. he was saying, even I think he said, like, no one looks at faces; it's good enough. Like, it's all they all they care about is this your genetic profile, um, and you know, they that's telling I would great have lengths, like, no. I thought like that's the first idea, like that's a real thing you can do. Did you know this about like uh, you can make a person taller with that, like, by cutting oh. their bones and like there's a there's a, a framework. That Oof. it slowly stretches it as the bone heals. It keeps like rebreaking and restretching. It takes like months and months, but you can add Not an inch it. or two to your height. Um, I mean, nowadays, I think when they have kids that are born with some kind of like hormonal deficiency, they just give them HDH <laughs> and like fuck nature. Sure. Uh, here, here's here's the real deal. Um, so, yeah. Uh, is there anything other? Because like yes. I have a feeling an hour into this podcast, we're only about halfway done. <laughs> OK, because... <laughs> one more thing. Maybe this will bridge the gap here. Uh, okay. Speaking of nature, right? Um, th- there are a couple of quotes at the very beginning of this film, and I didn't look up this Willard Galen guy. Uh, I don't know if he's a real person or if this is fake. Um, but he he says, I not only think we will tamper with Mother Nature, I think Mother wants us to sort of in opposition here to the Ecclesiastes quote, which is consider God's handiwork who can straighten what he hath made crooked. Um, uh, th- there's sort of like some connotations of playing God uh, sort of wrapped is up. Willard there, right? Galen, you're saying is, a, is seems like he is a very real person. Okay. Uh, and some, some kind of bioethics expert. Okay. And 95 fucking years old. He looks like a mummy. Well, Willard Galen, uh, you know, going to going against God there apparently because, and you know they call them God's God's children, God God child, uh, somewhere yeah. in this movie. So yeah, there's yeah. definitely a science versus uh, God or nature aspect to this. Yeah, um, and maybe we should start talking about what we think. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to. I, I kind of want to go through this exploration with um, Josh H's questions as our guide because why not? You know, okay. you type them up. Let's use them. Uh, the man paid some money. Let's do let's 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 do this right. Uh, his first point he wanted us to consider is there's an alternate ending to the movie. It doesn't change the story. It's literally just like the pre-credit sequence, and um, it's just a list. Like I think I already alluded to it, that where it shows highly influential people in different arts and sciences and even politics. They have you know like uh, you know we all know JFK had severe physical defects that were hidden from us. Um, you know by the by the press. Um, there's a there's a bunch of different people that would not have made this movie or would not have been born under the rules of this movie. Um, you know, and then and he says, um, of course, there's no way to know, but maybe a genetically engineered Abe Lincoln or genetically engineered Jackie Joyner Kersey didn't become the Abe Lincoln or the Jackie Joyner because they hadn't had any substantial trials to overcome. This, along with the climax of the movie, I never saved anything for to swim back. The lesson seems to be Maybe we're better off with our flaws. Maybe they give us something to overcome or to humble us, and in doing so, they make us better. Um, I don't. There's a lot of different arguments against eugenics and for eugenics because, like you know, um, we do absolutely practice a form of eugenics right now. Like you can have genetic testing, like in in vitro genetic testing, and uh. 
pregnancies can and are terminated based on uh, things. And like, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a couple things like, and I, and I, I, like I said, I, I think I support a limited form of positive eugenics. For example, do you know what a Harlequin baby is? No. A Harlequin baby should never be born. It, they're, they're essentially born without an outer epidermal la- layer, and they're born with, like, their eyelids on the inside out and all that kind of stuff, and they have, like, horribly short, terrible lives, like, in, in the terms of, like, days, weeks, or months. I think you should absolutely opt out of that fucking thing as a parent yeah. and as a child, honestly, mm-hmm. as a child being born into a brief world of hell that you can't even fucking understand. Like that just shouldn't happen. Babies uh, that, that form with their brains outside of their, their skull that like they're just not going to be viable. They're just not like we should absolutely be able to to end that down syndrome. Like that's where you start. And then from there, like it gets like, you know, um, I thought there was an interesting line where you have a black geneticist and he's, uh, you know, going over the parent specs and like, oh, I see you wanted a very light skin and kind of like, you know, it's like, well, what happens if we start engineering for those kind of preferential things? And what does that mean for the people who don't meet those preferences? Um, And like I said, it's like, I don't know where those bright lines are. Um and 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 I think that's like the the worst thing about like if you want to make a case for positive eugenics where it's like well we'll just we're just going to take out the worst you're not going to have any more harlequin babies you're not going to have any more babies with the brains born outside you're not going to have uh, babies born with like non formed spinal columns or like all all that kind of shit that just is like you know there's not viable they might be able to keep born you might be able to throw them on a machine for a couple hours but they're not going to but like you know. What it, like not, it, it's like what if you could then go it's like okay well, we're just gonna have smarter babies that are healthier and live longer they're more resilient right I don't know that there's anything necessarily wrong with that but like I don't know how society transitions in a fair and just way from the old way of doing things and a new way of yeah. doing things especially since the reality is whenever this stuff is invented it's not gonna be available to everybody no it's and gonna be available the, to the richest most powerful yeah no, that's the biggest problem um, with with you know integrating some some development like that into society is systemically there are going to be in inequalities um unless you make it available as completely free to anyone who wants it um you will inevitably have injustices that are created from that because because of the existing structure even if even but I'll even push back the even like what you said, like uh, the anyone that wants it. I don't even know that that's just because I don't want like my mom is a religious fundamental nut job. Um, I don't want to be born in a world that or I'm inferior right off the bat. and I'm never going to be able to get like uh, a good job or have a say in po- politics or have a desirable mate because my mom decided that I was going to be a God baby. That seems like. You know, it's 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 a voluntary inequality, but not something that I volunteered for. Like that's even yeah. problematic. It um, is. I mean, but then you're you know you you have to question everything about uh, the human birth right. cycle, right? Like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it really calls into question. Like, what do we mean when we say all men are born equal? What do we mean when yeah. we say that everyone should have a fair shot in life? What do we mean mm-hmm. when we say that the the legal system should should treat uh, everyone like essentially uh, in some form of blindness? Um, and also the fact that you can have people like Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the fact that you can have people like Emily Dickinson, the fact that you have people like Albert Einstein um, that achieve amazing things despite and maybe like uh, uh, Josh here suggests because of their um, 
overcoming their disabilities. Who is to say that a society where everyone has, you know, the best of everything is the superior society? That's where, like Absolutely. I said, Richard Dawkins got into trouble saying, well, of course, eugenics will work. Well, what the fuck do you mean by work, man? Is work mean literally make just means- the world a better place or like yeah. you can at or hu- the human gene code is susceptible to being manipulated? Right. Like, and I think that's more like knowing a little bit about Richard Dawkins. I think that's more what he means. The ge- right. You know, that genetics. uh will certainly work uh, in that regard. But, I mean, you have to look at the definition. And I see so many movies, you know, our entire society is set up around these definitions of perfection where this movie just reflects those. The perfection shown in this movie that people are striving toward with this genetic selection is expressed in terms of efficiency, productivity, accuracy, cleanliness. It's It's all clearly directed right it, it's like a, there's this preconceived idea of what perfection is as opposed to the messy perfection that can come out of something like abraham lincoln being born and surviving right right there's, and there's the fact just, that we don't none of these are sure things right like you well abraham lincoln gen- was not like his achievement was not oh he was exceptionally productive in his life right. oh he was exceptionally accurate with his coding uh he was right. exceptionally clean in all his habits no his his thing was that he was a morally just person who saw an injustice fixed it like Mm -hmm. that's his perfection and that's not something you can select for genetically right yeah a person with an 80 iq can be like you know what people are not property we'll fucking free these people right you know like you're you're capable of 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 having that kind of determination with with significant you know handicaps and setbacks yeah i i agree with that too yeah, and I think that's that's the interesting thing about it is like we've defined some kind of perfection which revolves around productivity and accuracy and all this and and that is what our society at large is striving toward. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know that that's a good way to the forward. exclusion of everything else, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um because everything else is thing, inferior. His second thing he wanted to to uh point out is is Gattaca actually wrong for having their exclusionary policies. For example, Vincent's mission is for a full year. There's presumably be enough time for some sort of cardiac issue to surface, which depending on details of the mission, we know it's a high stakes thing. You had 11 days and 90 years to make it. Could cause some uh, real problems. Is Gattaca in the wrong in this? Yes, they are because society has told them that that's illegal. Um, society has decided that that is wrong and they're breaking the laws to do it. Well, that's a legal argument. Let's talk about like the moral and ethical because well, like here's the society the way I think about ethically it. said you can't do this, and they're not they're refusing to abide by that, right? Like is the it laws wrong are made the, because the people wanted them made. Sure. That way. Is it wrong for the U.S. Air Force to require their pilots to have perfect 2020 vision and can't be colorblind? Sure, I think because so. right. So that's what I'm saying. It's we like have technology where, to fix those problems. Where where do you draw where do you draw that line? Because I agree. Like I think that like having a firefighter in a wheelchair is a ridic is 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 it's um I don't know it's kind of ridiculous, but it's something that's unfeasible in practice. Sure. Like maybe you could have a firefighter uh, that doesn't actually fight fires and is more of like a logistics guy, or he can operate the hell out of a nine eleven dispatch, or he can even command a fire team like all that stuff. But like he's not going to climb a ladder. And haul seventy five pounds of gear up and put, and put yeah. your house out, like right. 
Um, for sure. And, uh, there's you know, an there's, ability required. There. And there's these edge cases. Like, should we have female firefighters? Because, like, yeah. you know, if, if uh, we used to have, like, you used to be able to have to carry a 200-pound man down a flight of stairs. Now it's like you have to be able to carry it with another person or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the benefit of having female firefighters outweighs the changing of the requirements of stuff. But like, it's an art, it's an argument you can have. Like we make all these, we make all these fitness tests all the time. Like Gattaca just says like, well, what happens when it's the nth degree, when you can like be so choosy that like, you're just essentially, you got supermen versus normies. Mm -hmm. And why would you ever take the normie? Um, Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know. Like I said, it's a it's a legal argument to like, well, they broke the law, but it's not a moral or ethical uh argument, I don't think. Yeah, I mean it, it's hard for me to defend like the the ethics of any particular law because there are so many laws we have that I think are Oh that unethical. damn straight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's it's I don't know. I mean, in so much as the law reflects the will of the people then right. yeah. they have chosen their morality, they have chosen their ethics, and for you to violate those simply because you want the best of the best in furtherance mm-hmm. of your particular goal is unethical. It's yeah, wrong. You'd have, to, you'd have to, if you want to change that, you have to change it by a Democrat that it means. But then the problem, like this is why metaethics is so fucking in, insane because it's like, well, what if society is set up to where the people that say, well, hey, wait a minute. What if my heart doesn't explode at the age of 30? I still want to fly to Titan. They're like, well, you don't even get a vote because obviously we only want the best people making decisions for all of us and you're not the best people. Um, yeah. And then this is why like the systemic uh, angle is so important because the people you know, who can influence those laws disproportionately are typically the people who have the interest that uh, those laws don't benefit, right? And so they yeah. come in, they change the laws, they use their, their already, they take the advantages they already have and create more advantages for themselves. And you end up with mm-hmm. this huge class disparity. Yeah. Uh, relatedly, he goes on his third point. What's the argument for genetic privacy laws? If I want to pay someone in exchange for their labor, especially if the job requires a front end, a lot of front end training, surely I'm justified in gathering certain information about that person first. Why couldn't someone's genetic information be part of that? I'm taking a risk by training anyone for such a job. Why shouldn't I be allowed to lower my risk in a particular way by asking for and using as part of the hiring process, someone's genetic information? Um, and and I should say that like these, he's playing devil's advocate for all of these. These are not uh-huh. like like you know why can't I start a Gattaca and fucking you know discriminate willy nilly? Um, sure. These are just very you know free speechy philosophical questions that he's asking. Um, you know what is the moral and ethical argument for that? I think the contrast, is, the contrary, is we live in a society that values everyone equally, and we do not like to hold things against people that are beyond their control. You know, um, it's it's one thing if someone demonstrates a propensity to violence. It's another thing to say this person's genetic profile makes them 17 percent more likely to commit violence. So we're going to make sure that we incarcerate him and or they have to go through mandatory like 24 seven surveillance, some kind of like minority report precog shit. Yeah. Um, but but eugenics starts to break that because you start stacking the deck. You know, it's like. um you know, blackjack, the house has got a half a percent odds in their favor. You start counting cards, then the, it flips back into your favor and it's no longer gambling. And those things about all people being equal are just manifestly not true. 
It's not true now. It's just that like there's no fair way to determine that stuff, you know, in in, in advance. Yeah. Um, like by definition, unless you want to start saying that, like, you know, people, the the circumstance, like, uh, you know, people that look like they're going to have uh, you, you want to go back to the Spartan days of like, well, this baby looks funny. Let's just leave it on the hill to die. Like, that's the road you go down. And then you're saying goodbye to Abraham Lincoln. You're saying goodbye to Stephen Hawking and you're saying goodbye to all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know? And I think um, it is it is a tricky question. All these are tricky questions, right? Sure. Um, they really are. We we've made like surprisingly less um progress in, in terms of uh genetic modification of human beings or or selection of human beings than I kind of expected we would cuz this we're 23 years right now after this movie was made and it says oh, man, it takes was... place sometime in the near future. It, have we gotten to the near future? Uh, in terms of Gatticus thinking, are are we even close I, to it? I think most of this stuff is actually pretty much available today. It's just that we put the pause on it all because we haven't figured out the morals and ethics of it. And that's why I'm kind of outraged because when I think I'm about the 90s... we can do that, though, because I, like, I don't know what's stopping you right now if you're uh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos and you want your kid to have the best possible future and you have all the money in the world and you want to take 50 eggs and you want to fertilize them all and see what happens and then select from the best. I, what's bioethics laws? Cause right now you can go to a semen bank and say, show me everyone's over six foot tall that has red hair, blue eyes, a college education and is making a hundred thousand dollars a year. And even with that kind of stuff, you're doing you're you're selectively breeding. But like with the human genome decoded where we can just like, well, this guy's got the marker for Down syndromes. This person's got the marker for Marfan syndrome. This person's got the marker for uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, you can already do like there's there's a wide array of genetic defects that we can screen out. Now, what we're not doing is exploring fully the beneficial things. I think it's part of it is because we don't understand it. Part of it is because we don't we we have bioethic laws that say you can't do that. And that's what I think is insane is when I think of the movies in the 90s, like, you know, Jeff Goldblum and Jurassic Park. It's like, you know, we we've uh, we've we've we're able to do so much that we never stop. We never stop and, and think about whether we should. Right. Like, as far as I can tell, the technology's kept advancing, but our understanding of the technology as a society is just paralyzed because mm-hmm. like we can't get past arguing about the issues of the seventies and eighties. We're still trying to figure out whether gay people should be married. We're still trying yeah. to figure like, that's the insane thing about watching these president debates. Like I I've been watching presidential debates since, uh, uh, definitely Bush versus Gore. Um, it's the same fucking shit, man is global yeah. warming real. Should gay people get married? Should we allow abortion? How like, this other stuff that's like legitimately out there and like and and scary and terrifying and has like huge implications for a future automation and stuff that can't even yeah. get on a, the, the debate question. So like, it's not like we didn't have these flashing warning things like, hey, here's just some things you need to think about, fuckers. Just like right now, the consoles are full of red lights, like automation. What's that going to do to our economy? But we can't ever re- wrestle these modern problems because we're still we're still stuck litigating this shit from the '60s and '70s. Yeah, and I mean, literally, I don't know how to fix it. We're talking about cloning, right? We're talking about like, oh, getting getting stem cells from unborn fetuses, things like that. Um, 
we're talking about like the possibility of cloning humans. You've got, oh, what is it, Dolly or whatever, the sheep that was cloned. Yeah. Like yeah. all that stuff happened decades ago. And it doesn't feel like we've moved that far from that. And you're right. We've just been so distracted. And now we're, we're flirting with creating artificial life. Uh, right. And, and look, genetic modification is something that we can put the pause button on. I don't know mm-hmm. that artificial life is something you can put a pause button on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very difficult to define, let alone say, hey, you can't do that. Because if you can't define it, you know, you can define what genetic selection is and genetic modification. Good luck defining right. what artificial intelligence is because the politicians are not going to understand that at all. And I, I, I feel like it, like we live in a better world of like the highest rated TV show is some some kind of Friday night thing that is on a, a a platform provided by government funding where just like subject matter experts debate the merits of these things. And I'm not yeah. saying that like we got to give up the fascination of like what's Kendall Jenner's asshole look like or how what kind of dick is Chris Evans packing like like we can still do that stuff. Uh-huh. But this other thing, how can it not be more fascinating? How why why were people not interested in listening to subject matter experts from around the world debating issues about climate change and how we can fix it and how how you know, you're talking about a hundred trillion dollars that like the Green New Deal is going to cost. How much is it going to cost to build a 20 foot high seawall around this eastern seaboard in 50 years? Like, why don't we have these? Why don't we have this material? Why aren't why are why are we organizing society around things that matter rather than things that don't matter? I think it's because a lot of people just, genuinely don't give a shit about that. And they, they, they really only don't, form an opinion they really when they're don't. handed one. They really don't, or have we just turned the keys over to the sales and marketing team and decided we can't do anything about it because that's what makes money and that's the most important thing in society? Like, these are all choices that we've made. And, like, you know, when kids are exposed to just... It's like you you, you give a kid a candy bar, they're not going to want to eat their vegetables, man. And, like, we raise... All of us have been raised for the last 50 years in this bubble where all we get intellectually is cotton candy, man. Mm -hmm. Like... You know, low stakes stuff that doesn't matter. You have a strong opinion about who's going to win the big game or, you know, this celebrity. Are they a slut or are they a, 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 a feminist icon? Like, I'll, like who? I, 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 but, but we've been taught that, you know, I, that, yeah. that we've been taught to act that way. And I, and I know that like I'm like there's never been a time in human history where people like have just sat around and debated high minded ideals. Right. You've always. Sure. But but there's been times where we've had both. We've had the bread and circuses and we've had the fucking uh, forum, you know, you had this. And, and I feel like we just lost that. It's all bread and circuses and it's no, nothing of substance at, at not, this point. We're no longer in the Enlightenment era for sure. Um, yeah. And like, am I going to be doomed? That. I'm going to be doomed for every 20 years of Jeff Goldblum movie to come out where he's like, oh, we, we've, we've come somewhere and we don't think about it. And like it's like it, these warning signs and these lights are just going to continue to go off unabated. And, uh, you know, fuck me. So <laughs> do you have, you have some more stuff to talk about? Or should we move on to the next point? Oh, let's go to the next point. Uh, nitpick. At the end of the film, it's always felt weird to me that astronauts just go into space in their everyday dress attire, as opposed to a spacesuit of some kind. It feels a little student filmish. Why do this? Was it a budget thing? Could there be some other reason? This is why I ask, what is their definition of in the not too distant future? Because, this is like clearly a passenger aircraft of some kind, right? It's not 
there's no chance that it's going to have problems that lead to people needing spacesuits to fix them. There's no chance the life support's going to fail, that there's going to be any issue whatsoever. It's like taking a jet from, you know, Miami to New York. No problem. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a perfect, that's a perfect example. It's like, why does a pilot of an SR-71 Blackbird wear a full spacesuit and all this stuff, but a passenger that gets on the Concorde that doesn't even exist anymore because we keep going fucking backwards uh, just wears, you know, T-shirt and jeans, right? Like, it's the same high-altitude, mock-capable thing. Uh, but like one different. You no, know, no, no. An but, airliner's but, but, not but, likely to get shot down, but okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what I'm saying is, like, you know, um, the technology's come and the reliability is is such that you don't need to wear... You know, like like sure. the, the safety margin you get from from that is not worth the the cost and inconvenience. And I think it's that's one of the cool like this retro future stuff is cool because, number one, it's timeless. Gattaca will never look out of date because yeah. it, you know, came both futuristic and out of date. Um, and also it just is a nice little world building note that like, yeah, going even this once in a lifetime mission to Titan a completely new frontier that they've makes as clear as no one's ever been to is still routine enough type of a mission that you mm-hmm. can get there in a, in a suit and tie. It does like, make like me you're think thinking, this takes place like a hundred years in the future or something. It it does feel. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, it's like, yeah. Also it's, it serves visually um, to separate the classes, right? Like all, all of the, I, I want to say all of the invalids that you see in this entire film are dressed in janitor clothing, essentially. Jumpsuits. Yeah, it's just Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine wearing a like a well dressed fifties kind of like what what a you know yeah. the garbage man or a, a milkman used to wear back there jumpsuit, but he's got you know Don Draper underneath like everybody does. Right, and then everyone you see who's an elite who's a valid is wearing this same pinstripe suit. Um, the detectives all have the exact same coats and hats. Uh, mm-hmm. they're creating these distinctive visual looks, which I, I think works. I think benefits the film. Okay, point point the fifth uh, from Josh here. What is Gore Vidal doing in this movie? I suppose he isn't truly terrible, but he's pretty stiff in a few scenes. Who would you cast as a better director? Um, he's Ed the Harris. he's the director. Uh, I I don't know because he's like. At the time, he's this like public intellectual, right, and well known as as that, and he is a little stiff. But I thought he did a really good job of playing this out of touch, you know, not questioning one's first premises, circular argument, you know, uh, patrician. Uh, like I, it's the first paragraph of his Wikipedia article. This this cites his distinctive patrician nature. You know, like this, he's essentially walks around like he's better than you. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think that that's that that's to the extent that if you you knew who Gore Vidal was, it'd be like casting Noam Chomsky. I really don't. You know, it's like you know, or or like um, uh, Doctor Cornell West. I forgot, but he's in the Matrix movies. You know, uh. Hmm. As, as a council member of Zion, like you cast that because if you know who Dr. Cornell West is, it's like a little extra like, oh, I know exactly who the type of guy this person is. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think it's kind of like that. Like we're maybe too young to really understand Gore Vidal as a personality or be yeah. or be like, you know, you, if you if you cast Truman uh, Capote uh-huh. in the role, uh, it would be that same kind of thing. Like this guy is just a professional blowhard better than you elitist. And we're going to cast him as such. 
Um, sure. So yeah, I, I think it, I didn't, I think it works. And also, if if you buy into my theory that he's actually um, a a a platinum gilded inval- invalid, then it even kind of works because he, yeah, he is kind of an empty suit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also about nine minutes of deleted films that are on the like uh, Blu-rays and extras of this, which are all on YouTube. And Josh provided us, and he wanted to know mm-hmm. if we thought that the scenes added or detracted from the movie. I didn't get a chance to watch him. Sorry. Okay. Um, so like I, I did and most of them are just kind of extended. Uh, like there's this one scene where, um, Ernest Borgnine says those, uh, you just, there's a such because, um, the kid, you know, he's reading this science book in the break room and he's like, you know, there's such a thing as acceptance. Those are hard walls you're banging your head against. And it's just like a 30 second scene of him just kind of like, give up your dreams, kid. And then there's a, Counterpart to that, which blew my mind because I wondered about this in the final cut of the movie um, where they have like apparently Ethan Hawke has 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 got the job at Gattaca and he's coming back to visit Ernest Borgnine and say, yeah, look, I've made it. You know, you didn't think. And uh, Ernest Borgnine just goes along with it and says, well, you know, be careful and do us proud. And he leaves him. He says, hey, I left some I left some trash in your locker as. Like kind of like a joke, kind of. But then it turns out he left in this antique brass telescope. It's probably worth money or whatever. He doesn't um, say, "I can't recognize faces." Who are you? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I think both of these scenes belong in the trash. There's nothing yeah. wrong with them, but they weaken the message. And also, it's like, well, is Ernest Borgnine cool with this? Because there's a more powerful scene later in the movie where he bumps into him and is like, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Can I get your trash?" Or what? Like, yeah. you know, he's 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 transcended this class, and it kind of makes Jim's face. Uh, blind argument even stronger yeah um and then there's other one uh there's another one where they just go it's a much longer version of the parents shopping for genetic mar- markers and genetics is like huh he's gonna be half a head taller for you dad so you better not crane your neck when you look at him and hey do you want to and also there is something boy this might this actually might be cool because it sets up the fact that like ethan hawk's parents were like middle class but they're not rich because right. he's like trying to upsell them, like, "Hey, would you like to have a child that's like more predisposed to mathematics or science?" And the mom's like, "Oh yeah, he could do, you know, he he could do. Uh, I forget what instrument, and that would be nice." And like, "Well, how much is it going to cost? Five thousand dollars?" And the dad's like, "Ah, maybe we leave that." And the guy's like, "Well, you could probably get the same amount of result by just singing to them in the womb." <laughs> Which is like, does he believe? But you can clearly tell he doesn't believe that. And that sets up yeah. the fact that these the golden child is essentially a working class stiff. He didn't, you know, he's another one of these kind of squibs that misfired. Um, and then they also have this, this, this whole scene where the mom asks, well, what happens to the other babies? And he goes, well, they're not babies. They're just human, merely human possibilities and holds up the Petri dish with them, the four things in it. Mm-hmm. And that's like... That that then just jumps right into abortion, yeah. and I I think this film's like I don't want to be about this. I want to be about this other thing, and you you bring that in, and it's completely it's it's uh, uh yeah I I think un- unfortunately I think none of these things, and the final one was um his partner Alan Arkin uh comes up and says, you know, I noticed in this genetic thing that you have a potentially damaging connection. Like, you know, he essentially says, Ooh. I kind of know. He doesn't spell it out, but he essentially says, like, at the half point where the movie, you're related to this guy. What's up? 
And that just fucks up the the yeah. you know that that's that's too much, and you want that twist to land. So I think all of these belong on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Um, all of them change the tone or what the movie's trying to say as a message, or weaken other things it's trying to do. So like I think these like, and then this is the key. Honestly, I kind of got ter- I love commentaries, deleted scenes not so much because almost every time I see a deleted scene, I'm like, well, there's a reason they fucking cut this. If yeah. it was gold, it would be in the movie. Very rare exceptions is that is that the case. Point the seventh from Josh. The world building this film is very economic. We, we, we talked about organically. With a handful of exceptions, they essentially just dressed everyone in office attire from the late 40s, drove them around in Studebakers, and used some of the more interesting and unique buildings in Southern California. I know one of them was like, uh, was that Lloyd Wright? Frank what, what's Lloyd the guy's Wright. name? Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, one of them was one of his more famous buildings. Nice. Um, somehow it comes together to feel like an alternate universe future. Can you think of films that pull off something similar in regard to economic world building? Uh, I, like I said, I think The Matrix. Like, it's weird to say it's yeah. economic because it's a very expensive film. But like, damn, the set and costume design and prop design in that movie is fucking next level. Yep. Because that movie will always look like its future, in my opinion. It'll always, always, always look like some. Like, even if we have robots as a, as advanced as like the little spider squid dudes, they probably won't look like that. And they'll still look like this almost alien technology. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones like that. Yeah. I mean, mo- most, most of these types of things go the other way. I, I can think, I mean, I know there's a couple that I, is, I can think of. How is Waterworld in that regard? <laughs> is Waterworld pretty good? It's a very expensive though. Right. And it, it is, but like when I'm thinking economic, I'm thinking in terms of time, um, they do a lot with like his arrival. Oh, I guess at that's that, a good at that sea. Okay, sea lab or whatever. The atoll. Yeah, the atoll. Uh, they they get through a lot of that world building pretty quickly. I thought. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm I'm struggling with this one, man, because the Matrix is the one that st- sticks out in my mind. Um, maybe when we go to our list of movies that are similar to this, we can because uh, there's a couple that I could debate about that. Um, yeah. like uh, Primer. The Primer is a great example of sure something that's economic world building. Like that movie costs ten grand to make, you know, but you believe it's a time machine, right? Yeah. Um, Aid, an interesting detail I just caught. Vincent's first or last name is Freeman, which I noticed in my first watch long ago, and even then it felt a little on the nose. But it just dawned me to look at some dawned on me to look at some of the other names. Vincent is from the Latin vincere, which means the conquer. Originally, Vincent was going to be named Anton until his father hears of genetic shortcomings. The name Anton eventually goes to his younger, genetically gifted brother. Anton is from the Latin Antonius, which is thought to mean priceless. Eugene is from the Greek and literally means well-born. Uh, Wait, so yeah, who's named Eugene? Is that his middle name? Who the fuck? Uh, is it? Is it, is it, Vincent, is it Vincent Eugene? Eugene? So, yeah, he's well-born. Sure. Uh, yeah, it just reinforces the themes. Do you think Jude Law is an exceptional penis? Yeah, it, I mean the front matches the back. I've right. <laughs> I've seen ninety seven percent of the man's body, right? And the young Pope, it would be yeah. it would be somewhat of a tragedy if he's just got some kind of mm. really fucked up elephant dick, yeah, uh, looking thing there. But uh, who knows? You know, maybe that's the maybe that's the curse. Maybe that's why he's never uh, shown it. Maybe that's why the other three percent has left. There you go uh, to mystery. So might be a deal. Might be a deal breaker. <laughs> Nine, according uh, ninth point, according to a number of news outlets in 2009, a Gattaca TV show is in development. I assume this was canned because a story premise wouldn't work as a TV show, or would it? Uh, it might. It might. I don't. There's see a why lot not. of like. 
I, I, as an anthology, I think it would be really interesting, like a five season anthology that like looks at different ways that the valids and invalids kind of like shake out I and, and how the society succeeds and fails an exploration of that, I think would be pretty fascinating and kind of the, yeah. you know, if we're not going to get a fucking state sponsored uh, intellectual uh, debate show, maybe we could get some more thoughtful entertainment along those lines that kind of ask those questions why they're. You know, it's like a Cracker Jack box. You got you got the you got the prize inside, you know, which is knowledge. <laughs> OK. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I, I, I think it could. I really do. I don't know if it works as like, you know, you just literally stretch this out to be five seasons long. But I mean, you yeah, could probably take, you know, this movie asks a lot of questions and it avoids specific questions. Right. You talked about the abortion idea um, that that maybe are so integrally like woven into these ideas that you sort of have to address mm-hmm. them at some point. So mm-hmm. maybe you could take like microcosms of, of these issues um, and deal with them yeah. one, one at a time in a season. It finally says, do you have any recommendations for other sci-fi movies like this? And by like this, I mean a science fiction movie that isn't perhaps high on action or gore and might even be low budget ish, but is memorable and thought provoking. And we did. We brainstormed a list. We actually had uh, we we're doing this live on our, our twitch.tv slash bald move uh, Wednesday stream. And we had before we we, we solicited some ideas from the viewer audience. So we got a list for you here. Um, primer. It's great. It's like this is exactly what you're looking for. It's even a lower budget version of this. It, it asks fascinating questions. One of the one of the best depictions of time travel I've ever seen. Yeah. Um you know, really, really think about the nitty gritty of that. You should definitely watch. I think it's only like 60 minutes long, too. It's like it's like a snack. Um, Arrival, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Fucking love Arrival. I don't know what its budget is, but it's like it's a real fucking thinker, man. That's like something I'm what I think blows my mind every time I think about it. Uh, did you and Alexa see the endless with us? Is, do we uh-huh. sneak that in into double Dern? Uh, yeah, it's like what do you think about cult, that? Cult style. Uh time it's a time travel what is it it's kind of yeah i don't want to say too much because it's it's part it's all spoiler you know like is it is it aliens is it monsters is there time travel is there predestination is there cults like what what the that's a very low budget um but i thought it was really good i thought it was really good and thought-provoking yeah for sure uh jodie foster contact Mm mm-hmm Remember when we revisited that a couple of years back, we thought a lot more of that than we did as younger men. Sure. Um, what do you think about equilibrium? Well, a very early Christian Bale joint. It's pretty high on the action. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of in the same way. It's a lot like the Matrix. In fact, I think they came out within a year of each other, and there's a lot of comparisons there. Man, it's but been a it's. Long time. Um, it's a it's an interesting kind of like what about you know this kind of fucked up 1984 dystopia but also has a lot of really crazy martial arts and gunplay to kind of you know and and I think it's it's also fairly low budget as well. Yeah, um, comparisons to the Matrix there certainly not in not in its story but in its action. Yeah, yeah, like like action you know like that's the first film I think that they deployed the term gun kata like like you know like there's a martial arts formed around the use of of mm-hmm. firearms. I, th- I think it might be uh, the exact opposite of what he's talking about here. Yeah, but it does it does have a lot of like kind of thinking things. Um, it does, yeah. Have you seen Dark City? No. With Jennifer Connelly? 
and I think John, uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the Hurt boys, not not uh, William. Well, maybe maybe it is William Hurt. Um, that's a good one that I think is fairly low budget and kind of big big science fiction question type of question uh, answers um, questions and answers. Ex Machina. Okay, watched that recently. That's really good. That's about artificial intelligence. Yep. Um, yep. Not a lot of action. Pretty yep. pretty quiet, uh, thought-provoking film. Uh, Minority Report. Is it too action-y, too big-budget-y? Because I, I think the I the pre-crime stuff is really fascinating. It is, yeah. I think it, it... You know, this is not a movie that people haven't seen. You know, it's not one we need to suggest. So probably not in this category, but man, it's good. It's so old, though. I think that, like, you know, when you're talking about, like, millennials yeah. and, like, Zoomers, like, they don't know what the fuck this is. Uh, True. Movies that came out, like, 20 years ago. Um, uh, Interstellar, for sure. Not also not what, unknown and small budget, but yeah. Not small budget. But if you haven't seen it, um, you suggested Moon. Yeah, yeah. That's a... I, I don't want to say too much about it. It's a film starring, I think, only Sam Rockwell. Um in the entirety of that movie with the exception of some voice acting. Uh, that's a fascinating one that is pretty thought provoking. Although it's, it's the... like kind of thought provoking within its own world. I don't know that it's super thought provoking in our world because it's so specific in its subject, but yeah, uh, check that out. I just remember I, I looked up this recently. Some of the voice work is done um, by Matt Barry, who we recently kind of fell in love with on uh Oh, um, isn't that what we seriously? do in the shadows? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, uh huh, uh-huh. huh. Um, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. This is something, uh, if you haven't seen a lot of Kubrick's films or if you're younger, you probably haven't seen, but it's amazing. It's one yeah. of those well regarded science fiction, hard science fiction films for a reason. Um, AI run amok, mm-hmm. you know, um, THX 1138, which is one of essentially a student film by George Lucas. Uh, yeah, very, very low, low budget. budget, very low budget. Um, and then Ad Astra, like I don't think that got a ton of people's eyeballs on it, from what mm-hmm. I can re- recall. Um, but I love that movie. I thought that it's like a really slow, absorbing kind of meditative f- film. Yeah, uh, so I I really like that movie because it it success it does what this movie actually does is it successfully blends this world building and plot driven thing with the characters mm-hmm. and the emotion of it. Um, like we didn't talk much about the emotional side of the story. We mentioned the brother and stuff, but we also didn't yeah, mention we really did. Uma Thurman's character who has like a really strong arc throughout this thing, you know, bookended by the sure, hairs, she does. that kind of thing. The, yeah. the way they mesh all that together with this plot and this crazy world and the action there is really skilled. I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't talk about that because you're right. There was, um, I don't know, because I, I, I don't honestly know what the moral of that. It doesn't really couple to the movie to the movie very well. Um, it just kind of like gives stakes. Like their their emotional relationship is kind of a MacGuffin in itself. It's like it's just a reason. It, get, it adds a little bit of intrigue. Yeah. It also shows like maybe like not all valids are are cut from the same cloth. Or but I, I don't know because like it's all the sympathetic valids have some kind of thing wrong gone wrong with them. Right. Like we don't see many of the truly perfect people that don't have mm-hmm. any problems. Maybe that's part of the the point they're making in the movie. 
Um, and then we had a couple of uh, suggestions from the uh, the viewers of the Twitch stream. Uh, Harrison Burgenon, which is a um, uh, God damn it. Uh, it's a guy that made Slaughterhouse Five. Vonnegut. I guess it's based on a Vonnegut book, and it's a 1995 Showtime movie starring Sean Astin, uh, Samwise Gamgee. Never. I've not it. seen it, uh, but that was recommended. Existence, which I've not seen, but I know that's highly regarded. Um, that was recommended, and this movie called Predestination, um, which mm. I've also not seen. Um, what was its claim to fame? Predestination. Um, oh yeah, it's got Ethan Hawke in it too. Interestingly okay. enough. Huh. So there you go. That came out in 2014. So those are some listener suggestions. I haven't vetted them, but you know, they're, they're good people. All right. Before we get out of here, I got one last complaint. I don't know. Thing to point out that I thought was funny. How about that? Uh, okay. d- d- the, the Jude Law's throwing himself into the incinerator at the end. You know, you got the beautiful cut between that and the ship when the fire lights up. The manufacturer of this incinerator, I guess suicide is a use case that they anticipated because there's an on switch <laughs> inside the incinerator. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not? Someone might want to activate this, climb in and, and do the thing. Sure, sure. Is it? So wait, is it? Is it an, a switch that activates inside? Or is it more of like... Because uh, I thought that was just like the standard cycle of what happens after you get done. Sh- it's like a custom-built thing to no, run after you take a shower. he leans over and he flips a switch. Does he? So, okay. Yeah. Because my headcanon says he took a nice shower and then he just stayed for the... You know, but but yeah, like the fact that you couldn't engineer some kind of safety device in there to where you can't literally kill yourself. I don't know. I, I mean, just extra. don't put a switch on the inside. That would work. Yeah, you you pay you pay extra for the suicide switch, right? You know, it's, it's kind of canonically suicidal, but yeah, <laughs> don't put the kill switch on the in, unless you're just making a suicide chamber. Yeah, exactly, unless it's yeah. just like fucking uh, the, the, what's that Futurama has? They have the suicide boost where you can just go in and it's like I'm done. Flip a switch and it euthanizes you. Huh. Um. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's, the, that's our review for Gattaca. Uh, thanks once again, Josh H., for commissioning the podcast. I hope uh, you enjoyed our, our our review of the movie and our discussion of the, you know, uh, meta ethics around um, uh, the, the the eugenics. Yeah, cheery, it's a cheery topic. No, no, no harm can come from it. Uh, but no, appreciate your support. Appreciate you commissioning that podcast. If you would wonder what it's like to have us talk about your favorite movie or TV show um, at length. Uh, you can explore that option by going to support.baldmove.com. There's a link there that says you can click on it for commission podcast. It's got the price. It's got the pro- uh, process. You, you fill in you fill in your, your, your title. You hit submit, and you're off to the races. That sounds like a good idea. Check that out, support.baldmove.com. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back uh, uh, with, with more pulp. And more prestigious pulp, more more pulpy prestige in in the weeks and and months and years ahead. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>